while police photographing our license plate. What are we doing for veterans returning home damaged physically and mentally, suffering from depression, homelessness, and suicide? Why did the Supreme Court deposit corporate money into our electoral process? Should we redefine middle class as working poor? Or is it just another Wall Street merger? What's really behind new voter picture ID laws in certain states? Why aren't NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox asking these questions? Welcome to the Reasonable Voice radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice. The mission of the Reasonable Voice is to connect the dots between politics and finance, the need for better and more affordable education, our humanity, world peace, and, of course, the arts, which we then gladly provide our listeners, the voting public, as informative food for thought to provoke their self-determination and appetite for equal economic opportunity and justice for all without truth decay. The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. I have a really exciting guest today. I have to say, you know, I know I say things like that all the time, but the more I read about Keith T. Bishop, the more I'm fascinated that he's pulled together his financial expertise and training, his writing expertise and training, his love of history and knowledge of history, and weaved it into a marvelous unfortunately not as much fiction as we might like to think. (laughs) First of all, Keith, uh, good afternoon. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. My guest today is Keith T. Bishop. He is the author of both Slop, The Wild Boar Nation, and The Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields. He was born and raised in Dayton, Ohio. He earned a BBA at the University of Cincinnati in 1983, majoring in finance and management. And upon graduation, Mr. Bishop moved to Chicago and acquired the science of trading options under the tutelage of one of Chicago's largest derivatives traders at that time. And this uh, teacher, by the way, is currently one of the most renowned card players in Las Vegas. So we're talking to a man who understands the the numbers and how to play the game. After working on uh, energy trade desks for two major firms, Keith joined a large software company. And then seven years later, he resigned to write. I have to say, usually, you know, one says um, a book is uh, ripped from the headlines, but it sounds like the headlines have been ripped from your book. You know, with the Scalia's surprise death and all that's going on with the economy. And what, what, what do you, how do you respond to that? I wrote the book basically because in 2012, when I resigned, I just started seeing things from uh, that were very concerning that was going on politically in this country, and um, I just became more and more convinced the intolerance and extremism that was being demonstrated across the whole nation was a very dangerous path that we were going down, mm-hmm. and and I saw that as if it hadn't been, it's not reversed, it's quite possible we could experience an American spring ourselves. Yes. You know, I've worried about that, too, because everyone thinks, no, that's not possible in America. It never would happen. But we really are seeing little pockets of it. And as I say to friends all the time, have you ever seen Americans really starving? That is, food shortage? I mean, a a drought that's not just California-focused, but all over the nation? I think we are people who are spoiled by convenience and consumerism, and we're just used to it. It's a push of a button, and if that were to disappear, what do you think people of the wild boar nation might do to each other? <laughs> it would be anarchy, and like we've had many discussions in the past with friends and, and business associates of mine of what, hap- what would happen if the electrical grid had gone out. Yes. You know, you're talking within days, pure anarchy. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a life essential. So... To get more into it, though, uh, in the book, Slop, the Wild Boar Nation, drought does play a huge role. 
and the first chapter actually is back in the 1930s during mm. devastating effects of the Dust Bowl. Yes. And that was one of the things that I really wanted to project in the book is climate change, regardless if you believe in it or not, it, it can be devastating, regardless of what the um, circumstances or what the causes are. And the Dust Bowl in the 1930s was just utterly devastating. Mm, mm-hmm. So that's how the book starts. And I tried to chronicalize that and let people get a better idea of what that could mean in today's world. You know, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I do, as I said, we your book seems to be ahead of the, the headlines, especially when it comes to the Supreme Court. And, and of course, with Scalia's death, everyone's reminded of uh, what Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to do. But, of course, let's, let's go back to every time I watch a documentary about the Dust Bowl, I just can't imagine how America would respond to something like that now. Some people think it just came, the sands blew in, you know, they cleared it off and it was done. But that's not the case, right? It went on for years, and, I mean, you know, the whole, you know, swaths of land were just devastated. You couldn't grow anything. Mm-hmm. And people died. And, uh, it, you know, and you, you got sick. You know, you got what they call dust pneumonia. Yes. Basically, every living thing eventually would get sick. You mm-hmm. breathe in all that dust for a period of time, um, the consequences on your body are significant, young and old, and How? everybody in between. And, of course, in the 1930s, there was no such thing as the Internet. It's not like you could just sit down, even if, if, even if the sand had allowed uh, your computer to work, which is not likely. It wasn't available. It happened out in the more rural areas of the country. How did people survive? Because... I can just hear my 30-something friends going, well, they made it, didn't they? So why should we worry? Many moved. Yeah. Many packed up and moved and went to California. They continued their westward track. The bottom line is most didn't make it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're talking about great poverty and very, very dire lifestyles. So when the dust would come, I mean, it would blow up several thousand feet into the air, and mm. it would cover you like a tsunami, and, you know, the big black boiling clouds of dust, wow. and it covered everything, and it went on for years. There were virtually no crops. So one of the things that, that does concern me is what happens if that happens, you know, to our aquifers. Yes. And, you know, have an exact opposite. Instead of being above ground, you know, we're draining all the water, we're using all the water, and uh, let's say one of the, the giant aquifers goes bad mm. or becomes depleted. You're talking about maybe another dust bowl. You know, and, and I want to tell everyone, uh, you, you won't be depressed by Slop, the wild boar nation. It is fiction weaved masterfully with history and with our financial realities in the 21st century. But it's not a depressing book. I think it's a call to action and again, I keep going back to the Supreme Court because I just think the the way we're swirling around what to do about replacing Justice Scalia and what FDR's attempt to pack the court, as they say, with an extra six judges in the 1930s. But the first and foremost, um, I know from Keith that his books are meant to be entertaining. You know, you, you, you get the story, you're entertained by the story, and then, you, then you're then uh, left to think about, okay, what do we do? What can we do, Keith? Uh, uh, we're on a, are we on a road that is a one-way street? What can we do? I, 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 try to, I, I really try to be an optimistic person, and I surely hope what doesn't happen in the second book, the Republican bond yes. turning negative fields, comes true, because <laughs> that is actually the follow-up to swap where yes. an American Spring actually does occur. But talking about the entertainment factor, I can assure you whether or not you're on the left, on the right, or anywhere in between, mm-hmm. I've been told time and time and time again from people that I know who go to Ted Cruz um, dinners mm-hmm. and rallies, and people who are progressive, they all find the books highly entertaining. Yes, And that's the thing that I'm trying to do is to blur the lines between nonfiction and fiction by presenting colorful characters, interesting storylines, but yet provide the payload of information and facts for readers to make their own judgment 
regarding a number of social, economic, geopolitical, and religious issues in both books. Mm-hmm. So um, that's 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 the goal. And I actually cite sources, which is highly unusual for a fictional novel. Yes. <laughs> but that way people can then go, well, where did he come up with this, or is this true, or is this fact? Yes. And they're all highly reputable sources. Okay, yes, and in case I didn't mention before, uh, Keith has written both Slop the Wild Boar Nation and uh, The Republican Bond. We're going to get to The Republican Bond uh, a bit later, but uh, but let's stick with with Slop for the moment. Okay. Um, you write in, in Slop the Wild Boar Nation how humankind creates drought and dwindling lands, and I guess with that, of course, crops uh, and scarcity of green in any case. But we react to these hardships that are man-made by turning on each other, and I know we've touched on that already. I, I know that we have examples like the Great Depression, and I think also the Great Recession, I don't think we have to look back to the 30s, I guess is what I'm saying, to be reminded of how we sort of respond when times get tough. You know, the old thing, the tough get going, and there are certainly a lot of Americans who are solution and result-oriented. But there are also, I'm seeing anyway, since the Great Recession, in my opinion, since that time, a turn toward mob violence and mob rule. Can you take that as a launching pad and tell us more about the Wild Boar Nation? Absolutely. It kind of comes back to Obama's off-the-cuff comment that was tape-recorded unbeknownst to him when he said bitterness and antipathy turns or towards others unlike them pervades as people begin clinging to their guns and religion. Yes. That's one of the things that I really try to project again in the book is that when things start to get hard, and, I, and what I do is I, I use wild hogs or wild pigs, wild uh-huh. boars, to personify a radical fringe. Yes. And those that are unlike them or those that don't agree with them, they try to impose their will. And so in the story, 17 people eventually are killed, stalked, killed, and devoured by these wild pigs. Mm. And they're gone. These people completely are gone. The pigs eat everything. There's no evidence whatsoever. But what I'm trying to, once again, portray is that these people die are all different backgrounds, and the pigs basically are turning against others who are unlike them. Uh-huh. And and once again, we've seen this pattern in history. Yes. You know, this is nothing new. This is This is human history. And, and that's the one of the things I really wanted, again, to get across in the book, is that if we let the differences between us as a nation tear us apart, it can't happen. And, and, shreds. and I think also you make the point that it doesn't take a huge number or percentage of the population to... Uh, well, let's take the recent uh, Bundy occupation in Oregon. This was a small number of people, and it it almost ended without bloodshed. There was one death. That standoff took more than a month, and I wonder if we can just think by multiplying that, and again, by a percentage that's not too great, we would have even more devastating things like the examples you were giving that are in your book, Slop the Wild Boar Nation. What are the numbers that are most frightening? What are the percentages? We're polling everything these days, but is there... What does it take? Or how little does it take? it takes more than a third. 30 to 35%. I mean, if you think about it, what happened in Germany, you know, the majority weren't, you know, beholden to to the Nazis. Uh But this radical fringe then created enough chaos, then started persuading enough people that there are no shades of gray. Mm. And once again, back to the Bush doctrine, is either you're with us or you're against us. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that type of mentality, then all it takes is for a fringe of 10, 15, 20% to create enough chaos, to create enough enough negativity and, and problems that people start to turn and join that side because they're now given that choice. You know, you're either with us or you're against us. Mm. 
if you get a radical fringe of 35%, and I think we're seeing that today. Yes. I mean, I don't think Trump will ever pull over 40%. He's pulling 42 or something now in South Carolina. But nationally, I mean, that's all it takes. Yes. And you can overwhelm an unorganized majority, which is exactly what's happening in the GOP primary right now. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, I find it troubling, and I ask the question because I've always said when the, what keeps our balance, I always felt, was that if there are 20% on the far right and 20% on the far left that don't seem to be reasonable or willing to listen to one another's or different points of view, that still leaves us 60% in the middle that are rational and logical and reasonable. And I think we have eaten away at the edge, at least from the right and maybe from the left too, given some of the things that Sanders and and Clinton followers are saying to one another on social media. But we don't have what I used to feel and teach was that safety uh, 60% in the middle that you can count on for rational behavior anymore, do we? I'm not so sure. Yeah. Because one of the problems is they're detached. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay? And hopefully that's changing, though. I mean, they're now getting record turnouts. But that's one of the things I also kind of like hint at in the book is, you know, how effective is a detached democracy? Yes. If, if that 60% do not take an active role in voting. Yes. And that's all it's going to take. So you get that 30 to 35% that now can convince another 5 or 10% mm-hmm. on the fringe just due to the instability that they can create, we could fall into a real serious issue. Tell me... Uh... Just to shift a bit, but not to change the subject at all, really. But you you say that uh, you don't like the term economic inequality, which is used by a lot of my progressive political friends, but you prefer income disparity. Can you talk to us about that? Absolutely. I'm a, I, 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 I hate the term <laughs> income inequality mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people, when they hear that, the first thing they hear is equality or mm-hmm. equals. And again, the big premise in Slop the Wild Born Nation is we're not all equals. Yes. Okay? And, that, and, and, and we're not. I'm mm-hmm. not equal to you. You're not equal to the next person and so mm-hmm. forth. We're all different. We yes. all have our strengths and weaknesses. That being said, we all should be striving for that everybody should have an equal opportunity. And so I think using the term income disparity no longer makes those negative connotations because when people hear the word income inequality, they think everybody wants to be equals. Uh-huh. I see. And they want, you know, they want equal distributions. They want equal outcomes. And so that's why I really prefer the term income disparity because that's what it is. Yes. It's, it, it's at historic norms. And it's, it's, you know, it's not just ripping this nation apart. It's ripping a lot, apart a lot of the Western world. It's just that we're far off the worst. Uh, I appreciate you making that distinction because I, too, have used the term income inequality. And when I first uh, read that in uh, research for today's interview, that you preferred income disparity, I thought, well, that makes sense, but I want to hear why. And you certainly have cleared that up for me. We are talking to Keith T. Bishop. He is the author of both Slop, The Wild Boar Nation, and the Republican bond returning negative yields. Uh, is it uh, right to say, Keith, that uh, the Republican bond sort of uh, picks up where uh, Slop the Wild Boar Nation leaves off? Is that too oversimplified? Uh, no, it's not. It's actually the follow-up, but you don't need to read Slop the Wild Boar Nation to appreciate and, and, and love the Republican bond returning negative yields. But... What I did was I no longer really use pigs. Uh-huh. And, you know, wild hogs are no longer really in the book, uh-huh. although there are many characters in Slop, obviously. Sure. Um, but what happens is it picks up right near the end of Slop where the right-wing extremists slash conservative sympathizers are fed up with Romney they're disgusted that they lost the 2012 election, mm-hmm. and amongst them they vowed that it will not happen again. And they are hell-bent on winning the 2016 election. All right. So I'm the gonna... next 
I'm going to interrupt. I'm going to interrupt you right there because I want to start right there when we begin our second segment. I was going to ask you about Romney, but I was holding back. And we're going to talk more about the Republican bond, but also we're not leaving Slop, the Wild Boar Nation, behind. Stay with us. I'm speaking to the author of both books. It's an eye-opener, cold water in your face. Pay attention. Uh, We'll be right back. Please stay with us. We're talking to Keith T. Bishop. Now, another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. In the simple little Canadian film, Still Mine, Craig and Irene Morrison, played by James Cromwell and Genevieve Bujold, are deeply in love. They have grown old and are comfortable with each other in ways only their 61 years together could have allowed. Craig is struggling to maintain an active and rewarding life, but Irene's memory is slipping away, and her diminished capacity is just one more obstacle they must face together. When Irene's creeping infirmity makes their old multi-story farmhouse no longer suitable, Craig sets out to build a new house on their land, one providing both improved mobility and a favored view for his beloved. Craig comes from a traditionally prideful family of rugged, self-sufficient individualists, but times have changed. Building permits, blueprints, and engineering certifications are now required. Nitpicking bureaucracy is standing in the way of his sacred mission. This is a beautiful story, really a close observation of a loving relationship in its final stages. The plot is but the white bread present only to support the wonderfully tender and poignant moments Cromwell and Bujold create together. Still mine, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Find us on the web at IndieFilmMinute.com. Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, author Keith T. Bishop, who has written both Slop, The Wild Boar Nation, and The Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields. And I wanted to ask him about Romney and the 2012 election, but I wanted to take it from a slightly different angle. And this, um, you know, I, I know you've mentioned sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. But in reality, Keith makes it very clear in his books that words do damage to the people when they are negative labels. And I'm just wondering, can we go there first and then sort of weave in Romney and what happened in Ohio and how the Republican Party reacted to Romney's defeat? I I am a big believer in in that idiom that because words matter. Yes. And tone matters. And uh, I think what we're seeing here in the the GOP primaries again are going to come back and, and haunt the GOP. With Romney, they were very arrogant and believed all of their internal polls. They, they firmly believed yes. that they were going to win the 2012 election. Yes. But they completely miscalculated how badly they were going to lose in urban areas. And these are, these are some of the things that I point out. So like I, once again, I try to provide facts and information that I find startling and I put into the Republican bond. For uh, example, Ohio has 88 counties. Yes. Romney won 72. 88 counties. Romney wins 72. And how did, did Obama really win Ohio? Uh, yeah, he won Ohio. Okay. And, and, and you can describe Ohio as a sea of red with a few islands of blue. Yes. And, and, the, and the islands of blue are pretty hefty in numbers, yes? I'll give you a perfect example. In some of the precincts, mm-hmm. Obama won, like one precinct, 542 to zero. Goodness. Okay. He won numerous precincts in Cleveland, which is Cuyahoga County. Yes. But literally, he just destroyed Romney there. Mm-hmm. The only way he won, if you take away Cuyahoga County, Romney wins. Uh, uh-huh. There's 466,000 votes in Cuyahoga County for Obama to, I think, 190. The total difference was roughly 266,000 votes in favor of Obama in Cuyahoga County, which is basically Cleveland. Mm. And uh, he only won by 166,000 votes. 
It was 51.5 to 48.5. I mean, the, the election was as tight as tight can be. One county basically put Obama uh, to win Ohio. Wow. T- tell me um, about the Republican bond. Okay. Well, I'll just give you the, the premise and, and kind of give you the, you know, the lowdown of the story. Set up that they lost the 2012 election. Yes. A small group of conservative sympathizers are hell-bent that they're not going to let the same thing happen in 2016. Mm-hmm. So leaving no chance behind, okay, leaving no chance, they strategically plan and then use terrorism in six key swing states, and they pick the exact precincts that they know are heavily pro-democratic, like Miami-Dade, Florida, mm-hmm. like Cuyahoga County, like Boulder and Denver counties in Colorado, mm-hmm. and they use terrorism. First of all, they implore all of the conservatives to vote early and vote often. Mm. And on election day, they use terrorism. They bomb, shoot, and basically cause all kind of chaos in a number of precincts in these six swing states, which in effect suppresses the Democratic votes. They usually win the election. They win the presidency. They actually add to the Senate, and people are expecting them to lose seats. Yes. And upon Inauguration Day, early 2017, they issue the Republican bond. Now, the Republican bond is a doctrine of basically 17 social, economic, and religious doctrines. And they basically pass all those, repeal Obamacare, build the Keystone Pipeline, rip up the Iranian deal, they end gay marriage. You know, you think about all the things that the Republicans have said that if they were in power, what they would do, mm-hmm. will they implement those ideas? And oh. the key thing with Scalia, upon initiating or issuing the bond, they also state that they will make sure they will never lose control of the Supreme Court again. And they basically elect four more associate judges. So there'll be 13 Supreme Court judges after the Republican bond. All conservatives. So now they control the court, whether or not Obama ends up putting in a progressive or not. In the end, though, the leftist radicals begin to fight back, and they also start to employ terrorism, kind of showing that violence begets more violence. Yes. And we plunge into an American spring. Okay. Just in case anyone just tuned in, I want to say that this is... uh author Keith T. Bishop, work of fiction, we hope, The Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields. It is weaved, however, in spite of the fact that it is his imaginative creativity here, it is nonetheless anchored and and rooted in not only historical fact, but in a a current event trends that... um, direction in which we seem to be going. There are things happening in nature that are uh, deeply disturbing, and there are things happening in our own politics uh, that is having an impact, clearly, on our behavior toward each other. Um, There is violence in the streets. I know we've had it before, but it does seem we are leaning toward the gun as a solution when there are record sales of guns. It's not just gun violence, though. Political violence, as Keith was just explaining, that is can be found in his book, The Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields, is just as possible. We cannot think. You know, you know for, for decades, this nation thought the oceans protected us, and then 9-11 happened. So we must, by the same token, realize that the enemy within, we're not safe from that either. And I think that's what author Keith Bishop of um, slop, the wild boar nation, and the Republican bond returning negative yields is just trying to show us. He's entertaining us with an entertaining book, fictionalizing things, but he's showing us some reality uh, here too. One thing though, Keith, 
the the parallelism it seems to be a cycle i should say that certain things happened in the 30s you you will make the point in your book that in a fictionalized book the republican bond that romney's losing the election that by all logic he should have won uh, the economy was bad there was uh, you know a lot of people against obama for many reasons certainly obamacare and the color of his skin all of that but yet he still won and that the reaction was okay never again by certain powers well that also i think happened after roosevelt's death there was a 50 year plan that never again never again will we have anyone like fdr running our country we'll never be that vulnerable again those who feel that way but you are writing in a way that takes the current events including scalia's death and you show us the world is going through this turmoil and we are not immune from that why should we believe that we are exceptional different from everyone else and will not succumb to this kind of the kind of things that you write about in your books um because i really truly think this would be the blackest of all black swan events and the probabilities are next to nil but black swan events do occur yes and we're not immune and one of the things again i try to project to the reader is that things can spiral out of control really quickly and it doesn't take much mm-hmm. and once again in the book after the conservatives basically employ terrorism mm-hmm. it doesn't take long for the leftist radicals to do the same thing yeah, exactly. exactly and because they're sitting there saying you know and, and it gets a little bit more complicated complex in this in the end uh-huh as you know, the P word that was used by Trump? Yes. Okay. Goodness. Actually, it's in the book twice. Uh-huh. It's so ironic, but I put that in there, and I know women, I have three daughters, they hate that word. Yes, of course. But in the end, there was a reason why. And what I'm trying to show is, is that even good people, people with good intentions, can become radicalized. Yes. Well, and they start to believe that the only way to achieve their, their objectives is to fight fire with fire. And you go, you go down that slippery slope. Mm. If a Congress rigs the, or a president for that matter, again, a Democratic president did try, but if a Congress uh, has the con- constitutional power to change the number of Supreme Court justices, by the way, your book implies that they do. Do they? They I, do. They do, okay. Yeah size of the Supreme Court's changed six or seven times in our history. New, and the Constitution does not dictate the size of the court. It's left up to congressional oversight. They can change it. Huh. So your book is, uh, <laughs> your book's claims to being fictional are, uh, are a little, that's the only thing questionable about your claims. Uh, uh, maybe it's not as much fiction as we'd like to think. But it is entertaining, uh, as long as after we we are entertained, enthralled, thrilled, excited, uh, we become... I think so. I really, truly do. I yeah. think the books are both very entertaining with some very colorful characters. I actually, to get back to Slop real quickly, sure. if you don't mind, Ted Nugent is one of the characters. And, and I mean, I use him for a reason. Uh-huh. A, he's a big wild boar hunter. Yes. Um, but yet, he's also very colorful slash, you know, incites a lot of, you know, negative rhetoric. Uh-huh. And if you ever seen him speak in front of people, he gets people riled up. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. They want to kill, kill, kill. What do you think, then? How, what, what's the part that a marriage, which I think we have to admit has happened already, a marriage between uh, Christianity, anti-federal libertarianism, and Wall Street corporatism. If they are coming together, I know some pretty hard-nosed uh, political folks, but I wonder now this um, combination of uh, Christianity. I shouldn't say even Christianity. I should say that those who abuse religion 
and those who feel uh, the libertarian point of view that uh, does things to society, and then the Wall Street 1%. If those three components come together, does that feed your plots in slop the wild boar nation and uh, the Republican bond negative? Uh, um, yes, I, 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 I hint to that in slop, but then I really deliver that message in the Republican bond. In fact, the very first chapter of the Republican bond mm-hmm. is nothing more than quotes from Barry Goldwater. Oh, wow. He was in power. Yes. Um, and I'll, I'll just read you the, uh, the very first words of the book are, Mark my word, oh, if yes. and when these preachers get control of the Republican Party, and they're sure trying to do so, it's going to be a terrible damn problem. And he goes on and on yes. at how outraged Barry Goldwater, the father of conservatism, yes. Um, and, you know, who really is the one who put Reagan on the map, is complaining about how demanding the religious right is in the Republican Party 30, 40, 50 years ago. Yes. And, and that... um, so that is a big part of the book. And then later on, there's a chapter where I basically then document and cite where some of these gentlemen here are religious um, people here in America mm-hmm. um, are really pushing to build an army, quote-unquote. That's mm. the term they use, to build a, an army of evangelicals and take back control of the Republican Party and basically impose their ideals on the rest of society. That's their goal. Mm. You know, and I, I cite those sources, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and then I go on and explain. I mean, think about it. When was In God We Trust put on our coins? In the 1950s, Eisenhower, I believe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the things. They're sitting there saying, we've been working on this since the mid-30s yes. to the 40s, 50s, and we're damn well not going to let this generation in the year 2016 screw it up. Yeah. And we're not going to tolerate Islam being, you know, preached on our Christian soil. Yes. We're not going to tolerate gay marriage. We're not going to tolerate... <laughs> other acts that are considered more progressive or liberal ideas. So they enact on it. You know, the the Supreme Court, for all of its foibles, for its being politicized in 2000, I don't care what people say, it was politicized and has been since, yet it has been inconsistent in, in the way it votes. So, you know, you have to take the good with the bad. But, but either way... Those nine people have become, at least for the last 50 years, our last final safety valve, because you never know what you're going to get in the White House. G.W. Bush proved that. Um, and and the, uh, an obstructionist Congress that is, is in the face of our Constitution, which Scalia stood for, if nothing else. I may not have agreed with him most of the time, but he definitely believed that the words in the Constitution were it, first, final, and always, and yet the uh, candidates and members of the Senate come out and say, well, we're not going to abide by what the Constitution says in allowing Obama to name a new justice. So if we don't have the Supreme Court, good, bad, or indifferent, like it or not, left or right, as that final safety valve, what have we got, Keith? We have nothing. And that's what Marco Rubio wants. Mm. Marco Rubio was just quoted in the last few weeks. God's law trumps the Supreme Court law. That's that's a, that, to me that's a disqualifier for. Careful, I, exactly, I couldn't agree more. And and I, I I wanted to say that to go back to how when when people say to you if they do as some people said to me when I told them I was going to have you on the show and what we were going to talk about, well, but that won't happen in America because, and I would go, yes, wow. And, and, I, and I came up with this and said to several people, remember the movie Jason Robarts and the, uh, what was it, the day after the atomic bombs go off and the day after? 
how everybody watched the news while they fixed dinner and did chores and walked around the house, and the news was giving them all the information they needed. We knew that as an audience because we knew what was going to happen. But how many times do we do that? How many shootings do we hear about? And just in passing, we shake our heads, we change the channel, and something comes out, and you know, in a week we don't even remember who said it, unless those of us who write who try to remind them. How about that? That's right, Rubio said that. I've already been disgusted and put it out of my mind, and yet you're absolutely right. That kind of statement disqualifies anyone for being elected the president of the United States. Yet he said I, uh, it. I concur. I, I think it's an extremely, extremely irrational and dangerous thing to say. Yes. Oh, my word, Keith. We could go on and on. You brought um, a lot of stuff to the table today for us to be thinking about and talking about out loud. We all need to be talking to each other about Keith Bishop's books. Slop the Wild Boar Nation, and the Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields. Keith, why don't you tell us, how can we how can we get these books? Give us some websites or locations. How do we buy them? We need to be reading okay, them. absolutely. Um, first of all, my website is keithbishopbooks.com, and you can find out all the information on the books there and, and, and learn more about me and, and learn more about the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, Swap the Wild Board Nation is available in print copies on Amazon. Mm. You can also get the Kindle edition on Amazon. It's also available on Apple iBooks and Nook at the Barnes & Noble bookstore. The Republican Bond is only available on Amazon, and you can find that in print copies for $8.75, $5.99 for the Kindle edition. Excellent. Thank you so much. Give us your website one more time slowly. Make certain everyone has it. Absolutely. Just my name, Keith, that's K-E-I-T-H, Bishop, B-I-S-H-O-P, books.com. And if you don't mind, I would like to leave us on this note. Yes. Because negative yields has been all that's been discussed about in the last couple of weeks in, in the marketplace. Uh-huh. And I think the analogy I use in the book is really important. Okay. And what I'm trying to get across is is that when yields to society turn negative, creative destruction are sure to fall. And that's the biggest message I'm trying to get across, is that when the world starts to say that the yields to us as a society, socially, economically, etc., turn negative, perceived, real or not, anarchy is sure to fall. Okay, that's quite a place to leave us, Keith, but I think it's time that uh, we accept the reality of many things, climate change and climate injustice and and all that we're doing to ourselves and allowing to be done to us. This has been the Reasonable Voices talk radio show. My guest today, Keith Bishop, author of Slop the Wild Boar Nation and The Republican Bond, Returning Negative Yields. We need to be activated. And I'll leave it at that. Thank you so much, Keith, for being on the show today. I wish you all the best and keep us informed. Thank you. I will. Thank you so much. Bye now. Stay with us as we'll be right back with a final comment from The Reasonable Voice. And now... Another film rental discovery. Welcome to the Indie Film Minute. There's no shortage of indie films that expose the gritty, desperate struggle many immigrants face in trying to start life over in America. Few, though, capture what is equally courageous, maintaining an almost otherworldly sense of hope despite the odds stacked against you. Influenced by Latin American magical realism, Gregory Nava's 1984 classic El Norte embraces both realities. The story's arc is familiar. Two siblings trek their way north from their war-torn village in Guatemala, where neighbors hoard battered copies of good housekeeping and speak of California as if a mythic paradise. Though as we all know, and the film confirms it, the journey is a brutal one, 
and merely crossing the border does nothing to guarantee a comfortable life of happiness. But much of what makes El Norte such a powerful film is this situational irony. Every moment we are waiting for the dream to crumble, yet the siblings are imbued with a fairy tale resiliency no matter what hardships they endure. There is something refreshing in the boyish eagerness David Villalpando lends to the character of the brother, and as we watch his face light up at the prospect of a good meal, we long for the innocence of optimism that he holds on to for so long. El Norte. Not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Hello, I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, thanking you for joining us and becoming one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. A Valentine for Libs, Cons, Marks, and Original Intent. I was no fan of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, but this justice was no obstructionist Mitch McConnell no hypocritical member of Congress, and no opportunistic, egomaniacal Republican candidate for president. Justice Scalia and I shared an Italian-American heritage, Roman Catholic faith, and love for both the opera and operatic argument. Beyond this, our paths part, if not always in peace, because I believe the genius of our founding fathers is more than words on parchment. It is, potentially the very life's breath, mind, and heartbeat of human kindness. Death, our ever-present silent partner, enters only to remind. Our true original intent is, love thy neighbor as thyself. For what we do unto others with the time we're given is testament to character, definition of humanity, and covenant with the universe. Remaining an eternal millennial, I repeatedly cast my electoral ballot for another new deal, or new frontier, knight in shining armor, knowing, of course, until there are perfect human beings, there will be no perfection found in Wall Street boardrooms, or at any level of government, or even in voting booths knowing neocons conning easy marks with fears our finest hours are behind us are fooling some of the people all of the time knowing humanity is abused when we confuse values with telling other people what to do and with whom to do it despite trickle-down reagan the man from hope trade-offs and yes we can compromises we never allowed our destiny to be trumped because, even in unanticipated death, Lincoln and the Union prevailed. Nonetheless, it's futureless to demand change and reform without the pragmatic will to put the foundations under them. So, how long will we mark every four or eight years with ninety-degree turns swinging wildly like a twisted pendulum in the wind? Whether a trumped mark, Canadian evangelical, or aging independent, 2016 is another national defining election. As we teeter on the reef of truth or dare, potentially voting like pinballs bouncing off our last hit, opting to ignore new water, food, and climate reality, we could nonetheless still recapture our united we stand and snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. So why willingly attend the reading of the will of those who willed us preemptive war on credit, banker-imposed crash, the Great Recession, and double-digit unemployment? It's not just the party we elect. It's what we continually elect to elect. While Republican revisionists brainwashed us with waterboarding, freedom fries, and the demonization of the left L-word, Democrats, as we had for the first Roman Catholic, pushed forward for the first black-looking, first female, and first Jewish-American president of the United States. However, young first-time voters were not media-ridiculed for electing Kennedy or Obama. It's not just settling for the lesser of two evils. It's confusing the one evil with one nation under God. 
blinded by deceptive drawls and fast-talking celebrity waving our old glory to open carry hallelujahs, we multiply division with etch-a-sketch elections. Senator Bernie Sanders, like Senator Bobby Kennedy before him, is a magnificent lighthouse. But no matter how bright the beacon, without ship captains tested in international waters, can we sail through a perfect storm of Koch brothers, corporatism, and right-wing headwinds to the sane harbor of reason? Historically, we have elected presidents for their speeches, looks, smiles, and in reaction to their predecessors. But considering most American problems come from grumpy old white men addicted to conquering for plunder, maybe it's time for a tougher, broad POV. Look, primaries are like dating, but elections are marriage. Now that our ship of state has been ripped in half by an increasing imbalance between the haves and those who used to have, both neglecting those who never had, maybe for once we shouldn't send a grumpy old man to do a woman's job. Join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Thank you. Thank you for continuing to listen to, support, and share the Reasonable Voice Blog Talk Radio with family and friends, especially online. We enjoy hearing from you, and in response, yes, we are now accepting new company and business advertisers and welcoming organizations seeking to be one of our sponsors. So please do continue to email us at thereasonablevoice at gmail.com. However, if you prefer to simply make a donation, your donations are greatly appreciated and can be made through PayPal by clicking on the donate button found at the top of the homepage of the Reasonable Voice. Website. Thank you for joining us today to make every day as reasonable as possible. We hope you will download and share our downloadable podcasts. I'm Marcello Rolando, the Reasonable Voice, hoping you will become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world. Guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.